running with Maverick and Wolfman. Boston. I got a wicked cramp, so I had to stop. And the woman's like, oh, are you all right? Do you need me to get the medic? And I'm like, no, just need some Gatorade and I'll walk it off. So continued to run. And then every like water stop, I would do the same. I'd walk, take some Gatorade, run to the next one. and Went through the finish shoot. And then we get on the subway, start getting text messages. Oh, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. I'm sore. You know, I didn't do as well as I wanted to. We keep getting all these messages. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm so sore. And then my brother's getting messages and my wife's getting messages. Somebody's like, no, something happened at the finish line in Boston. And I was like, I didn't know there was a finish line in Boston, thinking it's the food store. And then as more and more people keep asking, it dawns on me, something happened at the finish line in Boston. I remember texting you to make sure you're okay. And you text me back something like yeah. that. Like, I'm fine. Uh, really sore. I was like, well, he's okay, but I don't think he has a clue what's going on oh, no. in the city. I had no idea. No idea. How long did it take for you to figure out what was going on? I think when we got back to the hotel room, we figured it out. Like, people had kind of told us what had happened at that point, but cell phones and text messages at, at a certain point became very choppy. But through bits and pieces of what people had told us, we figured it out. So that's why, for me, it's still very surreal. Because when I finished, it was just another Boston Marathon. I had other friends. They were much closer to it than I was. He said, if you were close enough, you knew it wasn't good. It was not fireworks. Anyway, they were okay. Thank God. So did you stay in Boston? Did you leave Boston immediately? No, we did things that kept us out of that area of Boston. You had your wife and your kids with you. Yeah, so we had, my wife was there, my mom was there, I'm pretty sure my brother was there, my brother-in-law was there, and the two kids, yeah. So you pretty much stayed in the hotel and until things settled down? Pretty much, sure. until the next day anyway. What was the next race that you ran after Boston, 2013? Gee whiz, I'd have to look it up. <laughs> uh I don't know. I'm not sure. It well, took the, me a while to get back into marathon mode, just mentally. So after the Boston 2013, it was difficult to return to marathoning or return to racing in general? No, and not even return to marathoning necessarily, just kind of getting that mindset of uh, really pushing yourself at that point, because it was just like something so great for you was kind of really tarnished at that point so even though i think i did one the following year it was just hard to motivate yourself just knowing that it was no longer that like sacred thing that couldn't be touched if that makes any sense so motivation was hard for a while now you did return to boston as a spectator with your brother correct yeah correct he did 2015 and 2016, I think. I know I went to his first one. How was that returning to Boston? It was different, but good. Do you have any other things you want to share about Boston? If it's on your radar, it's still totally worth doing. And, you know, hopefully, although I'm getting older and I'm getting slower, 
hopefully there's another at least qualifier. Thank you for sharing your story about Boston 2013. Yeah, thanks, man. So we have a special guest, Mrs. Wolfman. (laughs) Hello. Hello. So we're going to talk about Boston 2013 and Wolfman and your experience. I'm going to get right into it. Sure, go ahead. It was an exciting, normal marathon. You know, we had um, our kids with us. Our first, our oldest two kids, they were just little at the time, but we were pumped for a normal race and um, everything went fine up until we got on the subway. And when we got on the subway, we started getting flooded with text messages. We actually didn't know that anything had happened at that point. And we, our phones were just blowing up. So that was our first indication that something was up. And that was when we got clued in to the fact that there was an attack. So everything got a lot more scary from that point. Um, There was a huge police presence all of a sudden on the subway. And although we were really fortunate to not be up at the course during the time of the attack, we, you know, it was still very scary at the time because they didn't know who the suspects were or anything. So that was a lot. So you guys stayed in the city? We were there the next day and then we went home, I I believe. We weren't right in town. Like we weren't right near the marathon. We were a couple stops up. And that was a relief that we weren't right in the city because things were starting to unfold as we were there. And that the subway was actually the scariest thing for me because that was where we got the news and they hadn't fully un- revealed who, who the suspects were, but we knew that they were in the area, but you know, their description wasn't released. So when you weren't riding on the subway, it was like everybody you saw, you questioned, like, could this be the person? So you're sitting there with like, you know, your husband, your, your small children, your close family. Um, my brother was even up there actually to watch the race. He wasn't with us at the time. Like we separated, but I had no idea where he was. So, you know, that was, that was a lot to just not know if the person sitting next to you could be the suspect. Sure. So when would you say that you finally were able to take a breath? Probably when we got home, everything was wrapping up at that point. They you know, knew who they were. Um, so, you know, then you had a breath. Do you remember the next race that Wolfman did? Do you remember what it was? I don't. I don't remember. Do you remember what that was like or what that felt like going to the next race? You know, ever since that time not even just at races like I was never outrightly fearful of a race but you know it just makes you stop and think for a minute about the potential risks that there could be sure you returned back to watch his brother run correct yeah we did how was that return to Boston as a spectator 
strange a little bit. Like I said, you, you have that pause. You question some things. But I'm sure it doesn't compare to being actually feet from where the actual events took place. Like, I, I feel very fortunate that we were in the subway. It feels very fortunate that Dylan finished when he did. He was, you know, he's a fast runner. And that was kind of the thing that really stuck out in my head that day was just thank goodness that he finished so quickly and that we got to safety when we did. And also just that, um, that we did get so many messages from friends and loved ones checking in on us that, you know, we felt really humbled by how many people reached out to check in on us at that time too. Sure. Thank you, Mrs. Wolfman, for sharing with us. And we're very happy that you and Wolfman and your family and friends are all okay. Yeah, thank you so much. There's a couple questions that I got. They're kind of tricky. Uh-oh, I don't like trick questions. They're not trick <laughs> questions, they're tricky. Tricky questions. How can a runner be more efficient when running a distance race? 5K, 10K, etc. A sprinter tries to shave off hundredths of a second by hyper-focusing on form and technique. A longer distance runner, for example, might try to shave off five seconds for each kilometer. Ooh, kilometers, not miles. Is there an optimum position for head, arms, legs? Is there a common technique used by most runners that produces the greatest efficiency? This is a long technical question. So we're going to have to dissect this a little bit. So let's just start with the beginning of this question. How can a runner be more efficient when running a distance yeah. race? 5K, 10K, et cetera. Okay, so they're trying to be more efficient. So initially, there was no, the theory actually was to not do anything different. Just run how you normally run and you will be as efficient as possible, which as a physical therapist, that never made any sense to me. Like swimmers constantly try to work on technique. Jumpers same thing. Like yeah. it made no sense to me that all of a sudden distance runners mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just ran the way they run and don't change anything. We'd always have people with weird arm positioning or, uh, you know, overstriding, understriding, things like that. So I always felt that was kind of a weird coaching principle and theory that was not correct. I agree with you. I think, especially as a physical therapist, we look at biomechanics and there has to be optimum positions and angles and and things like that and i mean we could spend episodes on on the biomechanics of running so i think cadence is a big part there's certain cadence you want to be running and with that comes efficiency it's worthwhile trying to correct some things without overdoing it right for example if you have a forward head posture right, normally right. i wouldn't go obsessively and try to correct that that forward head posture as far as arms go, if the person has a lot of flexion or bending in the arms, I would possibly correct that to some degree. If they have no flexion or bend in their arms, I might try to correct that as well. Legs. What I see with the legs is most people don't use their hip flexors, so their knees stay down, and they tend to run with their calves, not necessarily with the hip flexion, and they lose a lot of efficiency that way. So that is, an, that is the right. first thing that I usually address with a runner. Uh, when when they start asking me questions or trying to find out how to be faster. Right. And that's where cadence comes in. Cadence should fix that. These are things that I think what? you kind of pick up with experience and with some coaching. Did you have anything else to add on that? 
I think we pretty much nailed it. Although I will say, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So I'm not, kind of like you said, I'm not big on trying to fix certain things if they don't need to be fixed. Correct. So for example, when I'm running with a novice runner, someone who's new to the sport, and they ask for advice, I typically will take a quick look at their run patterns and then give them advice. And it typically, yeah, the same uh, few things that I notice. They're usually very tight in the shoulders, tight in the elbows where they're rigid or they're working their arms too hard as if they were going to run faster by pumping their arms. Or also they tend to have a lot less hip flexion. Mm-hmm. So their knees stay down very low and then that wears their legs out. Breathing patterns sometimes are funny where people are uh, huffing and puffing quicker and I'm just telling them to relax and try to breathe naturally. Or they're trying to breathe through their nose the whole time. I've seen that a number of times as well where they're almost afraid to breathe through their mouth. So I try to correct these things. The nose thing, I was thinking the exact same thing. People try to breathe just through their nose. I don't know where that Mm -hmm. comes from because no one teaches that as far as I've ever been exposed to. I've never seen it in any other sport either. So yeah, I don't think it's something that's taught. I don't know where it comes from. Right. But there's definitely some efficiency things. I know that one of the things that I found quickly was lifting my knees higher got me less tired and covered more ground and had a way better cadence. It improved my run dramatically. Plus, I was able to make it up and down the hill. And I always tell my my kids or my family or friends, whoever I'm running with, I always tell them, I say, when you're going up a hill, it's a beat. Keep the beat. If you keep the pattern, bump, 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 bump. If you keep that pattern, whatever cadence you're doing, you're going to work the hill way better than if you are struggling or trying to change your stride or doing anything unusual. Just keep the beat as if you're doing a dance or you know whatever it might be if you're singing a song just keep that beat and you'll make it up the hill and you'll do it faster and feel better at the top and be able to keep running once you get there most of the time there are some times that that doesn't work (laughs) i mean i agree with you hills it's about maintaining i always feel like if you can maintain on the hill you'll carry yourself through that hill a lot better but yeah sometimes it's hard on a rough day, form and cadence and everything can be can be out the window if you're having that rough of a day. So I would say it's definitely something to look into based on some of the research that's out there. There definitely is something to say about form, especially if you're an injury-prone runner. It's not just your shoes. Sometimes it is shoes. Sometimes it's the way you, what you're running on surface-wise. Sometimes it's your form. There's a lot of things to look into and to try to improve and for example when we run on the track right we tend to put on different shoes and we tend to run faster and we run with more of a midfoot to forefoot strike instead of a heel strike even if you're a heel strike prone runner you tend once you go faster and get on that track you tend to get more forefoot or midfoot strike and that's a huge example of a better more efficient way of running yes that's that's more efficient for very biomechanical ways that I won't get into. <laughs> now, since we're on this, you know, we're not going to go into depth on this because I think we need to spend some time on this. But you wear different footwear than I wear. I tend to wear a basic trainer to run in, and then I'll use some flats or something like that to run, you know, certain days or run faster workouts, whatever. I'll use a different shoe for that. You wear the five finger shoes. Yeah. 
So right away, I do. That's... I am a minimalist footwear runner. I wear the five fingers and I get asked all the time, how do you wear it? So right away, you have to hit the ground softer than I do in order to not cause an injury to your foot. So right away, you're hitting the ground a different way than I am. And that's a prime example of a change in your yep. technique. Yeah, it promotes more that midfoot, forefoot strike, like you said. So once again, in order to run in a five-finger shoe, you need to hit the ground softer than if you were running in a thick trainer. You can't be as sloppy. You have to be more fine-tuned with your technique in order to run that way. So we're going to get into this more in depth. There's too much to talk about, and there's too many tangents to get on in order to cover the the five-finger versus the trainer. So we are going to talk more about that in a separate episode, but we just wanted to touch on that a little bit today with this form question that we got. Yeah, But it's a good question. It's a little more in depth. Most of our beginner runners, the questions that we tend to get have to do more with just how do I make it through? How do I deal with the pain of the running? How do I deal with my injuries? What should I eat? When should I eat? There's a lot of things that we get asked on a regular basis and a lot of things that we've learned from personal experiences that we are going to touch on. And we're going to have to devote quite a bit of time in, in episodes to cover these things. But we'll get into a lot of these different topics. Well, let me ask you this while we're on this subject. What do you eat before your marathon and how far before you run your yeah. marathon? Because I might do a marathon someday and I need to know this. Part of training is training your stomach. <laughs> I can eat pretty much within a half hour going for a run. Now, I might not eat a super heavy meal, but uh, before every marathon, I do i have a dunkin donuts extra large coffee and i what? have uh, what yeah, and a dunkin donuts <laughs> uh a dunkin donuts sausage egg and cheese on a croissant and what? i try to eat it at least an hour an hour before the race you're kidding me that's like that's not what i would do at all no that's not i wouldn't do that I, for that would have to be the race. The race would have to be to drink that, eat that, and then run something. <laughs> That's the only way that I would do that. That's crazy. I didn't expect that. Um, I don't know people where just, it came from. People just fell That's off their chairs listening to this. <laughs> I tell you, one guy who didn't is my high school coach, the same guy that was like, who ordered the Western omelet before this invitational? It was me. But, That's yeah, crazy. I don't know where it started. It's what I had before my first one. And, you know, I'm particular, you could call it superstition, whatever you want. I've had it before every race, every marathon. I try uh, to eat it at least an hour before. Yeah, I'm, we're going to have to come back to this another episode. That's that. <laughs> for me, the way that my body works, because I, when I first started running, I tended to cramp. I cramped every time I ran, especially any race initially. So I tended to eat three hours before right. I would run. That's when I would stop eating three hours before. Yes, yeah, I, I would, since have improved dramatically with die. that, where I can eat much closer. But I still don't eat anything heavy. I would never eat that. I don't even like to drink coffee anywhere near running. I <laughs> tend to like to eat peanut butter, something that's going to stick to my inside so that I can uh, break it down over time. And for yeah. whatever reason, in college, Pop Tarts always worked for me. I never had a problem. I would eat the Pop Tart and I could run all day at the track meet or the cross country course. I never understood that. I don't 
understand why that worked, but that never bothered me. It's the weirdest thing. Like you find what works and how you find what works is you try something before a long run. And if it doesn't work out, you don't eat that again. (laughs) Right. You do. You got to train your stomach too. So for me, soda, nowhere near running, nowhere near working out. I don't drink soda anywhere near that. I rarely drink soda to begin with, but I I won't touch that if I'm going to work out. It just, it does not work for me. I always eat a way bigger meal afterwards. I eat a small meal before somewhere and then I eat a huge meal after I'm done working out or running for the day. Maybe two. Yeah. (laughs) After a race, I'll eat whatever I want. (laughs) A reward to myself. I was going to say that's that's a reward system. What's the weirdest thing that you ate after a race? The weirdest thing I ate after a race? Right. I don't even know. The only thing I ever like craved after a race is after my first one for whatever reason i just wanted a donut <laughs> so i sat down and they had donuts and i had one. we're gonna need a donut sponsor on the show we should oh man what's the weirdest thing you ate after to be honest i don't even know what the weird it's probably probably not anything weird but just the volume that i've eaten after a race is crazy and the diversity of what i've eaten I'm sure I've eaten half a dozen things all at one sitting that make no sense together. You know, probably pastas and and desserts and then, (laughs) you know, then probably circled back to some kind of sandwich and then went back to another dessert and then got, you know, orange juice. I'm sure I've done a weird combination of things. And that's probably the weirdness of it. Not necessarily the one meal, but just the the combination (laughs) of things that I threw together in my stomach after a race. Because you basically just you're so starving that you just want to eat anything and everything that comes by you. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Running with Maverick and Wolfman. And once again, thank you, Wolfman, for sharing that story about Boston 2013. And we're very happy that you and your family and friends are all okay. And we thank all the heroes of Boston 2013. Maverick and Wolfman, running out. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Running with Maverick and Wolfman. If you're enjoying listening to the show, please like and share our Facebook page, follow on Instagram, support the show on Buzzsprout, and please tell those that can benefit from the show to listen to our next podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical health care advice. We are not responsible for any losses, damages, or liabilities. That may arise from the use of this podcast. This podcast is not intended to replace professional medical advice. The views expressed in this podcast may not be those of the hosts 